This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Carl Smith. Hey, Carl. Hey, Ben. How's it going? It's going great. So you do a lot of stuff. You're into a lot of things. I am definitely into a lot of things. That is without a doubt true. So I don't, I don't want to try to summarize you, so maybe you can do it for us. Sure. Uh, well, let's see. I started Engineworks, which is a, now a, a digital product company. I started that about 11 years ago. It became self-aware about a year ago. Hmm. I am on the board of a, a new education group called Miros Academy, where they're they're basically trying to redefine education so that it's more about teamwork and uh, group-oriented goals. Hmm. I am part of the Bureau with the Gregs from Happy Cog, and we are trying to build community where there isn't community in the web industry. Hmm. So project managers, operations people, owners, people that don't have all of the events and all that sort of stuff. And a lot of podcasting, man. Yeah. Got a podcast called BizCraft and a new one that we're just kicking off soon called Technically Simple. So I'm kind of excited about that one too. Mm-hmm. Um, the I, I heard of you through our CEO Chad, and he said that you are, have like you're probably known for your crazy heretical work life balance <laughs> ideas. <laughs> yeah, you know, I never wanted to be in charge. I didn't want to be the boss. I I thought that was a crappy job. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody says they want to be the boss, but to me, it seemed like if you find the right people who truly want autonomy and you give them the right space, then you don't have to be the boss. Mm. And so that's working out for you? You know, when it works, it's beautiful. And when it doesn't, it is a bloody mess. Mm -hmm. I mean, when it starts to fall apart, it can be pretty disastrous. But um, Daniel Pink in his book, Drive, he talks about it a lot. He talks about autonomy and mastery and purpose. And I even like to think about Clay Shirky and the idea of collective action on top of that. So even though you know people's dreams are not going to be the same, nobody has my dream. Nobody cares if I achieve my goals but me, right? Mm-hmm. But if off in the distance we can say, hey, look, Ben wants to get over here and Carl wants to get over here, we can at least go this far together. right? So through that kind of alignment, you'll find that people can self-manage really well. Hmm. So how have you set up uh, EngineWorks then? Well, so we coined a term called jellyfish model. Uh, actually, Rachel Gertz, uh, one of our engineers at the time out of uh, Vancouver, and I were talking one day about what company did we want to work at. And I told her, I was like, you know what? I want it to be completely transparent. I want it to be uh, just no leadership whatsoever. The idea of flat now, I know, is a bit of a fallacy. Flat is a lie. Um, but we just started describing all these things we wanted sustainable and we wanted it to be adaptable and all these things. And the next day, Rachel called me and she goes, You're talking about jellyfish. And I was like, you're drunk. <laughs> no? You're three hours behind me and you're drunk. And, uh, and she said, no, it's a jellyfish are one of the best teams on the planet. They show up when there's a problem. They grow to the size of the need. They, they clean up the ocean mm. and then they go off. It, sometimes they die. We didn't want to die. That wasn't, that wasn't one of the goals. Yeah. Uh, but so we tried that. And, and now I actually talk about it as opt-in. When the team sees a project come in, mm-hmm. if – there is a group that forms around that project, then that project gets accepted. If not, if, if people don't show up and say, I want to work on this, then that project doesn't come in. Hmm. So do you like have like a pitch session where someone says, I want people to do this? 
Absolutely. So, so basically what happens is a, a group of jellyfish is called a smack. Okay. So we have what we call a smack attack. And basically we'll tell a prospect who's coming in, look, the team has to choose to work with you. I know this feels really backwards, hmm. but what we need from you is a compelling reason why we're the right fit for you. Hmm. And the clients who get it, the prospects who get it, really get it. Because I'll explain to them, I'm like, look, do you want to hire a company that's going to force people to do your project? Mm. Or do you want to hire a company where people stood up and said, I want that. Mm. That's the project I want. And so it, the amazing thing is where I had always gone after big corporate clients like Chase and Energizer and, and even things like Epic Games, it turns out when they were in charge, suddenly we're doing organic foods and we're mm. doing fantasy sports. And we're doing things that were passions of theirs that I never thought we could get into. Yeah. So it was really beneficial to, to let them have that say. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool model. And, it, and surely the, products, the, the projects turn out better when people are passionate about them. There's just no way to, to fake that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and, and sometimes, I mean, we derail just like any company. I mean, it's not like it's always perfect. I mean, sure. there are times where we totally screw up. And, but I think the difference is people own it. Mm. And you can't say, I didn't sign up for this. Because you did. Mm. And I think that's a big part of it. Everybody kind of rallies around. And, and we still have, like I was saying, I, I think the concept of flat is a lie. Uh, I really wanted flat to be true. But even at shops like GitHub or if you look at Valve and you look at what they do, when you really dig into it, there is some level of temporary hierarchy at least because we right. need some level of organization to get things done. It's when those hierarchies persist and start to gather dust, that's when the danger happens. Hmm. Because then they just start to defend themselves. People just Very try true. to protect their, you know, their status. A little fiefdom. Yeah. So you're, you're into ad hoc hierarchies. Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's whoever cares the most should be in charge. Mm. Or whoever has the most pain. I mean, that, that's another thing at Engine. So right now, uh, Matthew Oliphant, who's one of our guys out of Portland, he's redoing the Engine handbook. And it's a public document on Google, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a Google doc. Anybody can come in and see at any time where it's at. They can comment, all these types of things. But Matthew really cared about that. Mm -hmm. And he really wanted us to have this understanding of what it was to be at EngineWorks mm -hmm. and what it meant. I really didn't care as much, which sounds shitty considering I own the thing, right? Mm -hmm. But I never would have gotten it done. Or if there's something that's a pain point, like tracking time. Whoever hates it the most should be in charge of fixing it. Right. You know? Yeah, I like that. It just makes sense. Do you have people that are remote or is there like a Portland office or? No, it's pretty much all remote. Uh, we're based in Jacksonville, Florida. Mm -hmm. I, tried, I tried to shut down that office about mm -hmm. three years ago so we'd be completely remote, mm -hmm. uh, fully distributed. And uh, the entire team, which at the time was about probably 20 people, rebelled against me huh. and said they wanted that office. Hmm. They wanted the home base? They wanted the home base. Well, part of it was uh, a lot of them worked from their homes, right? And I work from my house. I've got this little office that I'm in now, but it's just a five-minute bike ride from my house if, if it's too noisy around or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I, I said I wanted to close the main office, uh, one of the people in there said, well, this isn't fair. When I signed up, I had an office, and now you're taking that away. Mm -hmm. And then people who worked from home said, yeah, if that happens, then one day you might tell us we have to go into an office. So we're fine with spending the $25,000 a year. It's not a lot of money. It's a small space. But we would rather spend that money and know that we're maintaining the integrity of the agreements we've had than take that money and have a trip to Vegas or something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, 
but but still based in Jacksonville. But we've got people in Portland, Atlanta, uh, Columbia, Missouri, Denver, Fort Lauderdale, New York. I can't. I'm not really sure. They they actually also go through a process of hiring and firing uh, that's basically team based. So it's very Lord of the Flies sometimes. Hmm. But uh, <laughs> what is that? What does like the hiring process look like then? Uh, so with the hiring process, when you first come on. Uh, you're offered to join a team for a project. That team actually goes through and interviews you. So it used to be that I managed all of it, and Mm -hmm. I'm not actually doing the work. I'm not actually able to judge your work. But if the team gets to say yes or no to the individual, it's a huge difference. And then the team will also explain basically the salaries that everybody's getting paid. Mm. Right? They'll say, hey, you know what? We're developers. We're generally in the eighty to eighty-five thousand a year range. The UX people are, are in the eighty-five to ninety thousand dollar a year range. We've got some project managers that are in the seventy-five to eighty thousand dollar a year range. What we pay on the hourly is we would go ahead and pay you eighty dollars an hour for this project, and then if that works out, we'll bring you on for like a six-month contract. Mm-hmm. At which point you'll make the equivalent of that salary for your skill set. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was an interesting thing. Actually, went through and analyzed uh, thirty different shops around the country and what they paid their people, mm-hmm. and they were they were very open with that. And that allowed the team to kind of look at it and decide together based on skill set and the marketplace what they wanted to get. So, so the the onboarding process, the interview process, is a little disarming for some people mm-hmm. because they're used to being they're going to talk to their boss. Well, the team is your boss. Yeah, you know. So keep them happy. Because right. <laughs> otherwise, they're not going to ask you to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems like just another implementation of that idea of like the, the decision should be made as close to the pain or the pleasure as possible. Exactly. Right. Like why have the boss say, oh, you're doing a great job when the team is actually kind of like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> exactly. Right. Because I can't go into GitHub and see that stuff. I can't code. I can't draw. You know, I know if something looks nice. I know if something works. Mm-hmm. But I have no idea what that person did. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the other part of having somebody work on a project first. Everything in our world is team-oriented, right, in, in the web space. Mm-hmm. So until you actually work with somebody, and not, not like a one-week interview where you come in, like we want to see you when you get mad. Mm-hmm. We want to see you when you screw up. We want to see you when you kick ass. And the only way you can do that is go through a full life cycle of a project. Totally. Do you have trouble finding people that are willing to jump on like that, like commit to that sort of thing? Uh, you know, it, it depends on where we are, where, where Engine is, and, and the projects that it's taking on. But for the most part, the issues we've had are not finding enough people. Mm-hmm. But when we do find people, they line up really quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, this industry right now, freelance is really hot. So I do a lot of research, talk to a lot of owners. There's a lot of freelance going on. But in the second half of 2014, um, a lot of shops are hiring again. Mm-hmm. It's like the beginning of this year, people didn't know what was going to happen, where things were going. Uh, it seemed like people were down on revenues, profit was down, but then everything's turned around like recently hmm. uh, in the past three months, I think. Summer was still a little slow, but, but it seemed to come out of summer pretty quick. And so they're hiring again. It's kind of a, a seller's market if you're talent right now. Mm-hmm. So can you walk me through a typical day for you? <laughs> give me all these like the mundane details, like when you get up, what are you going to eat, okay. where are you biking? So I get up uh, generally around 6.30, 6.45 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, After how many hours of sleep? I, I generally get eight. Okay. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm a Fitbit guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last year, I've dropped some weight and I've gotten in better shape. And so I really try to get at least seven and a half hours of good sleep, which for me, there's about 30 minutes of tossing and turning. So sure. 
So I get up. Uh, I've got three dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to take care of them. And so while my wife is taking care of getting, I've got two daughters, 13 and 11. She's taking care of that, getting them ready. I'm taking care of the dogs, drinking a cup of coffee and throwing a ball for uh, my, old, my youngest puppy, Sherlock, who's a golden retriever. He's just about a year old. I throw that ball probably 30 times for him. Mm-hmm. And he's just never going never gonna to stop. Never he's get gonna tired of that. Back, never get tired. Yeah. And then um, I'll either be driving my kids into school. That's mm-hmm. one of the things I love to do. Hmm. If that's not happening that day, then I go sit down and probably check in around 8 or 8.30, mm-hmm. uh, log into HipChat. That's what Engine uses uh, to stay connected. And I'll see a couple of people there, and we'll just shoot the shit a little bit, talk about what we did that night, uh, talk about what's on our plate for that day. Mm-hmm. And then I'll start writing. Um, normally, once I see that nobody needs me at Engine, and, uh, and I'll also check in at Happy Cog, check in at the Bureau mm. on their Slack channel. Uh, once I see that nobody really needs me, I'll dive into writing. So I'll spend a good hour or two in the morning writing. If it's a blog post or it's journaling for me, whatever it is, I just find that the more I can get ideas out in the morning before things show up, the better they are. Mm-hmm. I'll take a good hour and a half uh, in the middle of the day, generally go for a run, which is stupid here in Florida to run in the middle of the day. But <laughs> I, I find that it's, I'm just about to start feeling stressed to do something, and that's what triggers my run. Huh. Okay. And, Have uh, you checked email at this point? Uh, I'll check email probably when I check into HipChat, so okay. like right around 8.30. Okay. One, one thing I don't do, when I first wake up, I generally don't sleep with my phone or my computer in the bedroom. Yeah. I try, like 30 minutes before I go to bed, I try not to look at bright lights. Yep, same. It restricts a lot of the ability to go to sleep. Yeah, totally. But then once I check in to see if anybody needs me, which like I said, it's probably about two hours after I've gotten up, that's when I'll check email too. Okay. Generally going to be 15 or 20 in there, a lot less than it used to be when I was in charge of everything. <laughs> yeah. I was in charge of everything. I would get like 200 legitimate emails a day. Wow. Like they needed me. I had a rule that if somebody carbon copied me on something, it went to a folder. And I used to tell people, if it's not to me, it's not to me. Mm. I can't, I don't have time to see what you're saying to somebody else. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. And then, uh, and then I'll probably uh, go for that run, come home, clean up, grab some lunch, uh, ride my bike into the, this little office that I've got up here. Most of the time, I'll actually bring Sherlock up here with me. Uh, he's not up here today. And just hang out. I've got whiteboards on the walls, and uh, I'll just keep brainstorming. I'll leave uh, all of my channels open, so if anybody needs me. Mm-hmm. And um, generally, I'll check in. I'll help out with new biz with Engine. They'll have something that came in that they want some help with. And a lot of my time I'll spend on the Bureau. Like uh, I do a podcast for the Bureau called DPM Radio, where mm-hmm. I'll interview digital project managers and, and find out about them. And then a lot of research. I, I do a lot of research in the industry around shops and owners and just where things are going. I, I was never happy with the information I would get from AIGA or Glassdoor or any of these types of companies. Hmm. So why are you getting that, that information? Uh, really for my own information and also to educate the industry. One of the things is because we don't talk to each other as much, sometimes it can be really hard to make good decisions. Hmm. Uh, if you look at AIGA, and I love AIGA. What is that? Uh, American Institute of Graphic Artists. Okay. So they do a salary survey where they talk about what a web designer should make. Hmm. Well, when they do that survey, they actually talk to Amazon as well as talking to a, a shop like Engineworks right. or a company like ThoughtBot, right? And they, the same thing happens with developers, right? They're groups that put together, like I think it's Robert Half International or some of these groups. Well, they have a vested interest to have those salaries as high as possible 
because they're trying to get people to pay their dues, to do their things. But if you're looking at the service industry versus the product industry, Mm -hmm. totally different. It's not fair. Like I had a friend who came out of Facebook and he told me, he was like, look, I, I just want a simple service-side job making like 230000 240000 a year, nothing extra. And I was like, dude, you got to stay product side. And you know what? He went on to Pinterest and he's mm-hmm. very happy and you know he got what he wanted. Yeah. But the thing was, I couldn't make good decisions based on the information I had. And uh, one of my core values is just about fairness, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I've always been the best when I knew that there was a sense of, of equality and fairness. And without that information, I didn't know if I was being fair to the people that were working with me. Hmm. And, uh, and it kind of gets back to Daniel Pink. You know, he talks about intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. Well, if I can show everybody this is what the service industry is paying right now, then they can know that you know, they're being fairly compensated and they can focus on the work. Mm-hmm. Even with all of those recruiters on LinkedIn offering them, I'm sure, significantly more than engines are capable of, mm-hmm. but they have to go work at Apple or they have to go work at Google and pretty much sign away a lot of their life. Right, totally. So. I think people can, can make that own distinction too. Like, you know that there's more money over here, but there's so much more than that. Yeah. I mean, if you get to choose the work you're doing yeah. and you get to choose the team, it's kind of sweet. Yeah, absolutely. And then the remote flexibility and, you know, the culture yeah. that you like and the people that you're into and all that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. You've mentioned uh, the Bureau a couple times. Can you talk a little yeah. bit more about what that is? Sure. So it's the Bureau of Digital Affairs. And uh, I got to know Greg Story and Greg Hoy through a camp they were putting on. I, I almost said a conference. It's not a conference. It's an event. Hmm. But it was called Owner Camp. And the first one, I think there were about 15 of us. And we got together just as owners to talk. Hmm. And we didn't really know what it was at first. A lot of us thought Happy Cog was collecting us in a room and then they were going to gas us like the Joker in a Batman film mm-hmm. and laugh hysterically. But what it turned out was we just started talking about issues that we all faced and we didn't have anybody to talk with about it. And as mm. I got to know Greg and Greg or the Gregs mm. as, the, as they're known collectively, mm-hmm. we started talking about making owner camp something bigger. And we, they were working on something called the Digital PM Summit. And at the first one, at the first Digital PM Summit, they had about 150 digital PMs show up, and they had never met before. Mm-hmm. Nobody put on an event for them. And as soon as that event was over, we started seeing meetups spring up around North America. There were quite a few in, in uh, Canada. There were a ton in the States. Mm-hmm. And we took a sense of pride and accomplishment, especially Brett Harned, who, who was way behind it, um, in that we were starting to create this community And that became the Bureau's mission is basically through education and events to create community. So a lot of the research I'm doing is also in order to be able to educate the industry on what's going on. Mm. And that's practices for owners. We've never had that. Yeah. It's so powerful when you can talk to someone that does what you do, but somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's it's awesome. It's the best. And when you find out that they don't know what they're doing either. Right. Oh, yeah. That's true. (laughs) Definitely. Or like, and also just to see like, oh, you have the same problem. That's, that makes me feel better. Or like, oh, you have a problem with this thing that we mastered. And that makes me feel good. Like that we got, we we at least do this and we don't have your problem there. That's nice. And we've been lucky to have companies like Zurb and Tehan Lax. And um, I'm I'm trying to think of of some shops that were Lullabot, right? We've had these different types of shops, Seer, which is an SEO firm. Um, All different angles from the industry have come together. Mm -hmm. And We've got 14 events we're planning next year. 
Oh wow! So yeah, it's it's getting kind of getting kind of busy. Hmm. So how how much time does uh, Engine take from you versus your other pursuits? Well, it really depends on what's going on with them. So my, my title at EngineWorks is the advisor. Yeah. And what that means is, depending on what they're going through, it could be that I've got. 25 hours in a week that's mm-hmm. going to engine. But when things are going smooth, like, and over the past year, with the exception of maybe like five or six weeks, things have been pretty smooth, mm-hmm. um, maybe 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, a lot of that is more me checking in than it is them checking in with me. Mm. So it's, it's been really smooth. Yeah. But, but like this week, because there's a lot of new business activity and they're a little overloaded, I'll probably put in a good 15 or 20 hours with them. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. It's interesting. You, people you typically think of a consultancy as being a kind of thing that you never really step away from. It, <laughs> it needs it needs constant attention and feeding and all that. But it sounds like you've you've at least got you're like part of the way there. I'm part of the way there. You know, so last September was when I stepped away, and I would say for ten months I was there. I mean, there were some times where I might put in two hours a week, hmm. and it was very much just a hey, how's everybody doing? And everybody's like, hey, good to see you. And a couple of people going, who was that? <laughs> you know, because yeah. No clue. But it, it ebbs and flows. And you know what? I think that's the way it should be. Just because you start something, I don't think you should be tethered to it. Mm. And I think the idea that the only way out is to give it away is kind of silly. Hmm. But I've had other other owners of businesses approach me and say, you know, it's not a new idea to start something and not run it. And I'm like, yeah, but in our industry, none of us went to business school, you know, <laughs> yeah. we were designers or we were developers right. or may have been writers. And so for us, it's just like, but this is a labor of love. Mm. And it's amazing how much being the, the artisan yourself colors the way you behave when you run a business that employs those artisans. Like you just Absolutely. think of it a whole, a whole different way. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, my background was before starting EngineWorks, I worked at a full service advertising agency. Mm-hmm. Where by the end of it, I had collected titles like merit badges. I was the the head of uh, media, of account service, of uh, at the time back in the old days we called it technology, uh-huh. and I think there was there was another one in there that I can't remember now, but it, it just I was good at organizing people, mm. and I was okay at strategy. I wasn't great at strategy. I do other people much better than me, but but it was a good assessment of uh, talent and chemistry. Mm. And so I think that's part of what's happened at Engine is is I've been able to keep that feeling of that person would really be good here, or eh, maybe I should send that person over to a competitor, let them disrupt over there. I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> do you think that is is that your superpower? I like to think so. I, I think I'm a a bit of a. You know, nothing really upsets me except when people are disrespectful to each other. Mm. So I'd say my my superpower is being able to kind of stay calm and get along with a lot of people. Mm. Not in a fake way. Like, I'm genuinely interested to understand people's stories. Like, I, like Ben, I'm sitting there going, okay, he's got the voice. How did he end up on that side of the microphone? Because <laughs> it thought about, you know, I, I'm familiar with that type of work. And I can appreciate that they're thinking, you know, this podcast is going to be... but And I'm not going to turn the interview on you, but... But I'm just like, that's one of the things for me. It's like, what is your story? Like, how did you end up over there? Yeah, uh, I just got pitched on it, actually. We hired somebody who had gone to Berkeley School of Music and had an audio engineering background. And he was like, hey, we should have a podcast. And Chad was like, yeah, we should. And he, and he asked me if I wanted to host it. And my first reaction was like, nah, sounds kind of bad, <laughs> like inviting guests and editing things and all that. He's like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to do any of that. You just have to like actually host it. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, right. I'm into that. That sounds good. 
Well, see, that's perfect. That's a great story. Hmm. So you mentioned earlier, if you can find someone whose dreams are sort of aligned with yours for a while, then you know you can sort of work together and you both are getting what you want. Right. So what are your dreams then? You know, I, originally I would have said my dream was to have a self-sustaining company. And, and I think that's kind of there now. Mm-hmm. Right now, when I, I think about the future, all I really think about is, you know, how can I give my kids what it is they want mm. and, and get them where they want to be. I'm hardly a selfless person. There are things that I want in this world. But when I really sit back and and just concentrate, like my oldest daughter's 13 and she's got a shot at being some level of professional dancer, Mm -hmm. right? Ballet could be a play for her. Mm -hmm. My youngest daughter is like loves Minecraft and really doesn't want to do extracurricular stuff. Mm -hmm. You know what? She's, she's great at theater. And so I just think about my dad told me, you know, my brother and sister were both really high into academics, like super amazingly smart. Mm-hmm. And my dad was like, if you don't want to go to college, it's fine. Mm. <laughs> and he would support me for four years. So, so right now, when I think about the future, I'm just thinking about I've got five years and, and seven years before they're out there. And, and I just want to make sure I'm able to take care of them. So yeah. I don't know if that, that sounds too sappy, but that's no. truly what my, my dream is right now is just to make sure they're okay. Yeah. So how do you organize all the stuff you're doing? Do you, I see you have whiteboards with stuff on them behind you. Do you have other like systems? Uh, not really. You know, I, I've got a to-do list and I just categorize things in one of three categories mm. and it's a uh, small, medium and large. Mm-hmm. And I just try to grab one large thing every day and then a medium and a couple of smalls and just throw them up there based on what seems most important. Yeah. I used to have a super detailed to-do list and then I found it was too stressful. And so I threw it away. Yeah. And the important stuff came back. Right. I've had the same experience with to-do lists. I always want to change the software I'm using. Like, oh, no, I'm going to use... Uh, this system is wrong. It needs to be like this. And it's not really about the system. It's more about the habits around it. Like, I find myself, like, things pile up. Or, like, it gets to the point where it's stressful to look at a certain category or something like that. And actually, what I need is, like, mental modes and, and like, personal habits around to-dos that are different. Yeah. Not, not a different system. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. And, you know, what? the thing about a to-do list is our lives change and our priorities change, mm-hmm. but we keep some of those old things on that list. Yeah. Right. And when time and money don't matter, right? Like what would you do? Right. Sure. That should be at the top of your list. Right. And, and it sounds like an easy question, but it's a real tough question, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so easy to, to just keep doing the things that are in front of you and not thinking like the slightly higher level or way higher level. Like, Urgent versus important. All those things we've heard a thousand times. Yeah, totally. Know? Hmm. So what are some of your favorite things? Um, just in general, I mean, I love running. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things for me that that, that is my meditation. Mm-hmm. Do you listen to podcasts or anything while you're doing it? I don't. I used to try to train for things and all this kind of stuff. Now I just realized I like to not even know how far I'm going. Mm. <laughs> I'll just look and see how much time I have. And I'll just run for that amount of time. And uh, where I live, we're just down from the river, and we've got a lot of uh, canopy roads, old oak trees. So mm. it, it really, even though I'm running on asphalt, it really does feel like a bit of a connection. And so running is just crazy important for me. I just love it. I, I do love podcasting. Mm-hmm. Interviewing people is just super fun. And and when you find out, you get them into that place they weren't expecting. Yeah, and you, totally. You can tell that, oh, my God, they're unveiling here something they didn't even tell themselves, you mm. know? So podcasting is crazy fun for me. And you know what? I'm, I'm a traditional football-loving type person, too. So I'm excited it's football season, even though 
You know, I'm a Jaguars fan. You know, it's like you can't choose who you love, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they choose you. And so it's a lot of fun uh, for me, just college basketball and any flavor of football whatsoever. Gotcha. I get I get way into. Hmm. So what haven't I asked you that I uh, should? Wow, what haven't you asked me that you should? Um, I know you're good, man. You're good. You, you ask all the questions. <laughs> this uh, is episode see. one something, 15 or something. <laughs> 115, you're pretty good at it. Decent number of chances at this. You know, I'll tell you that one of the things I would say is like the, you know, everything sounds like wine and roses, right? Everything I'm talking about sounds like I got it all figured out. Yeah. What's the thing keeping me up at night? What's the thing that's that's really under the surface of all this calm smiles and giggles? Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Oh, you you want me to talk about that? Yeah. You're crazy. (laughs) Um, You know what? I think the thing that, that that does wake me up is uh, this sense that maybe I'm doing it wrong. Mm. You know, I, I learned early on. My mom taught me. She was like, "Trust people until they give you a reason not to." Yep. And a lot of people show up, don't trust anybody until they give you a reason to. And there are times where you wake up and you go, "You know what? I gave that person a lot of space, or I let that continue down that path." And I'm worried that it's going to wreck and it's going to come in and it's going to impact my family somehow. Hmm. And to date, it hasn't happened. You know, I've, I've had a few things, especially when we're trying to get this autonomous model off the ground. Um, there were people who took advantage and I let them, you know, I, I didn't step in soon enough. And, hmm. and when something like that happens and you see how it impacts, uh, a good mentor of mine, actually, uh, Melanie Husk, who I worked for, the only boss I ever had. She once told me that when bad people stay, good people leave. Yeah. Hmm. And, and there's this sense that sometimes you'll be watching a team and you're like, I'm not sure that that's the right person and you have to let it go. Mm-hmm. And so those things wake me up at night sometimes. It's like, should I step in? If I step in, do I start to unravel everything that we've worked for here? And, uh, and so that's it. You know, I actually feel like I may have stepped in too heavy over the past several weeks because they had a huge project that ended a little quicker than they expected. Uh-huh. They had money in the bank. They had concerns over new business, and they asked if I would help with that because they never were a, a business-generating organization. So I, I'd say that's, you know, that, that's the thing that, that worries me is sometimes I think uh, maybe I I'm, I'm just have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, it's, it's imposter syndrome. It's, yeah. I was a theater major. You know, and, and I'm running this multi-million dollar company, or I own it. I'm not running it, right? right. Yeah. So, so I would say that's kind of the that's kind of the thing. Yeah. Well, the good news is you're you're so not alone with that. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I think I get the sense from pretty much everybody I talk to that we're all sort of just doing our best and faking it as best we can and hoping for the best. Yeah, fake it till you make it. That's what they used to say all the time. Yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's actually a great place to stop. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on the on the podcast. Like I said, I've been a Thoughtbot fan for a long time, and uh, it's exciting to be a part of it. Uh, thank you. It was it was really great to talk to you. I enjoyed it. So, do you have anything you want to share with people, or something that they can check out, or get in touch with you, or something like that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, one thing I was going to say that might be beneficial to your listeners, and definitely beneficial to me, mm-hmm. is uh, we have a QA service called QCAT. And it's a QCAT. And if you go to QCATPro.com, you can find out about having somebody else do the QA that you just don't want to do on digital products. Gotcha. Okay, awesome. 
Today's show was produced and edited by Tom Labarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 116. Thanks for listening.